As the saying goes, it ain't over till it's over. And it may be autumn, but there's plenty to do, fun things too in the garden, and Melinda Myers is going to tell us how to prepare for autumn, winter, and even next spring. Hello again and welcome to another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Melinda Myers is best known for her garden-friendly, practical approach to gardening. She's had more than 30 years of horticultural experience, both hands-on and instructional. She has a master's degree in horticulture, is a certified arborist, was a horticulture instructor with tenure, and is on the board of directors for the International Society of Arboriculture. Melinda goes all around the country seems to me all the time, speaking to gardeners at flower shows, at garden events. She speaks to groups, and she's got a wonderful way of imparting and sharing knowledge with, well, any kinds of gardeners, beginners to experienced. And she just she just gets those nuggets and she puts them right together. So today I'm going to challenge her by asking her to tell me, hmm, let's say six things to do this fall for the garden, to prepare for winter, and even to prepare for next spring. I'm speaking with the remarkable Melinda Myers, who is known all over the country as, well, I don't know exactly exactly how to describe you, except you're kind of the national plant doctor. <laughs> well, I like that. That's good. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. And uh, I'm going to slightly put you on the spot because it's Uh autumn, and I would like to hear, let's say, six tips to prepare your garden for autumn or or shut your garden down or some of the things that you're thinking about right now. You know, I think sometimes fall comes, and for some people, it's a transition to the next season. Well, for all of us, it is, and sometimes it's, thank goodness, the season's over. I'm packing up my tools and just going to enjoy the fall color and ease into winter, but... Really, if we invest a little time right now, we can end up improving things throughout the fall, beautiful winter gardens, and then a lot less work comes spring. So, you know, on those days you're like, wow, I'm done gardening. Don't give up yet. It's a good chance for a little more horticulture therapy Mm -hmm. to get you through the next season, but also can reduce your um, workload. And I think weeding is one of those things. If you've kept up with your weeding, then you won't have much to do. If the heat of summer or busy schedules got in the way, by taking care of those weeds now, especially if they're just starting to set seed or haven't, better yet, if you get them out of the garden beforehand, you'll have less to deal with next spring. And it's just one way, again, of just kind of reducing your workload with a little prevention. So pulling the weeds, if they are non-invasive, not perennial, and not gone to seed, I'll often tuck them under trees and shrubs as a mulch. If they have set seed, get them out of the garden. And if they're invasive or things like quackgrass, creeping charley, bindweed, get them out of there. And for most of us, composting isn't the answer because, you know what, they'll root in the compost, the seeds will sprout, and when you put your compost back in the garden, if it hasn't heated up high enough to kill them, you're just putting the weeds back in with nice compost to get them growing. So do you put them in the trash for pickup? Yeah, you know, most municipalities, you want to check, and I try not to put green debris in the compost pile, but, you know, weeds and things like that, I figure most people don't want it in the municipal compost. Most municipalities will let you put small quantities, so that's why it's so important to try to weed 
defensively before they go to seed so you can compost whenever possible. And then check with your municipality. Um, ours, mine lets me do that. Invasive plants, a lot of them want you to put things like garlic, mustard, and canary reed grass and things like that in clear plastic bags, label them invasive, and then you can even solarize them if you are going to yeah. compost them. Um, but then they'll bury them deep in the landfill that so hopefully those invasive plants, you know, are buried deeply and not going to be an issue. You know, in a way, it, it, you make me remember the times when you could burn. <laughs> yes, exactly. But we can't. <laughs> we can't either. <laughs> so, yeah, so for those of you that can, you know, the, the, the smell of burning weeds may have a little bit of revenge feel to them as well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, and, and watering, you know, depending on where you live. And my I'm based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and travel a lot. But a lot of us suffered a lot of heat and drought this summer. And new plantings, evergreens, anything struggling and moisture-loving plants, make sure they get sufficient water. Um, I don't know about you, but I tend to see a lot of people when I see drought conditions, improper watering versus lack of watering almost being the bigger problem. Mm-hmm. You know, people go out there with their garden hose and their or a watering can, even right, or their <laughs> watering can. That's even better. And they take care of the whole flower garden with their watering can, or their, you know, the trees, the shrubs, the lawns. With the time it takes to drink their favorite beverage, they feel good. They're done. They go in the house, and really, you're just keeping those roots near the surface. So good deep watering. If you're, you know, luckily we've gotten some rain lately, but you know. We've entered another dry period, so make sure things, especially anything that's, you know, struggling, new plantings, get a good thorough watering until the ground freezes if you're in the north. That's going to really keep your plants hydrated, keep them in good shape, and keeping them well watered is a great way to um, help them through the winter if you live in areas with cold, tough winters, or even in areas with hot, dry weather in the spring, fall, and summer keeping your plants healthy year-round is really going to help you have more beautiful plants, reduce problems with insects and disease in the future, and other need to replace dead plants, mm-hmm. which none of us like to do. And that's that's especially important for newly planted things, because a lot of us plant in the fall, especially deciduous trees, and right. you think, well, they're sleeping, so, or maybe you water <laughs> them when they, you put them in, not enough, and uh, I've seen so much damage from you know, you plant them and forget them. <laughs> you bet. And and especially, like you said, they're dormant, but there's a lot of activity going on underneath the right. ground. Exactly. One of the big one of the big times of the year for plants to put out roots. And so it's a, important, as you mentioned, to water those things, even though they appear dormant. Um, one of the other things is, is mulching. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer as often as possible to keep green debris on my landscape or brown in the terms of raw leaves. So as the leaves drop, I have a small city lot, but I get leaves that blow in from I don't know how far away because <laughs> I haven't found some of those trees in my neighborhood. But I always shred them with my mower and leave them on the lawn. If you can see the grass pieces for the, the leaves, it's going to improve the soil. Your lawn will be okay. I have usually extras, so I'll shred them and mulch the soil around the perennials. I'm not a huge fan of of leaves on plants as a winter mulch on top of them because they'll often ice up and really are poor insulators. But boy, on the soil around your perennials, a great way to recycle those. 
shred them up and put them on your vegetable or annual gardens. And I like to spade my in. There's that debate. I don't know if you're a non-till garden guy or a till garden guy, but I like to spade my leaves in um, areas that need improvement. They break down by spring. My garden's really improved. So you don't have to rake your leaves. Um, and, and in our community, if you rake your leaves to the curb, city comes and sucks them up, hauls them away, pays somebody to compost them, and then you have to go buy them compost in a bag, you know, from the garden center. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this. I know. I'm uh, paying well, for the guys in the city, the men and women, the compost company, and hauling bags. So, you know, I have a small electric mower, and it works great. I shred them up. They're in a bag. Um, I can bag them if I want and then use them as mulch. It's great. So moisture. on the lawn, uh, do yeah. you, you don't use the bag when you... Correct. I'm, thank I you see. for clarifying. You're right. Just asking. When I'm, <laughs> when I'm cutting my grass, you're right. I'm just chopping them up and leaving them lay. Mm -hmm. If I have a lot of leaves, that's when I get my bagger out. Or, you know, if I'm needing some mulch, I bag them and then sprinkle them around my perennials. And often I'll bag them and use them bagged as insulation around above-ground plants I'm overwintering or along my house for a little extra insulation. Then in spring... I'll use those leaves in my garden as well or throw them in my compost if I'm a little overloaded in fall but need to add a few things in spring. So it's a great way. And, you know, instead of raking, how about shredding, mowing, and using them as mulch? And it's easier than raking. Oh, much easier, much easier. And, you know, again, you're going to reduce watering next year because you're going to have that nice layer of mulch. Reduce weeds because it helps suppress the weeds moderate soil temperature so when we get extreme cold or extreme heat those roots are insulated and as they break down they really improve the soil and one of the things i found i like leaves because i'm always digging i think most gardeners are digging dividing moving things around in my garden and wood chips end up getting worked into the soil temporarily tie up nitrogen i think look kind of messy when the soil is mixed in with leaves, it just all kind of blends together. And as you said, it's free. <laughs> it's free, exactly. <laughs> Better yet. <laughs> well, that's three tips. Okay. So uh, let's test you for a number four. Okay. How about, you know, it's the time of year when sometimes our annuals are not looking so good, and maybe what you want to do is um, replace them, not only with annuals, fall annuals, which many garden centers have things like pansies, um, ornamental cabbage and kale, and of course, mums and asters. And often you even find dwarf uh, sunflowers and ornamental mustard and some of your Swiss chard. I love to add some fresh color to my landscape where some of those annuals have faded. But another cool thing I've been seeing are some of the big squashes and pumpkins not just set on the front steps, but rather put in the garden where, say, your annuals aren't doing so well, pop some ornamental squash on top, looks decorative, looks intentional, it buys you time until next spring, and it just adds a little flavor of fall. The other thing, I was recently at the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum, and they were doing some really cool hanging baskets, and they used um, ornamental corn, some squash, small squash, and pumpkins, but they went around and harvested things from the gardens, you know, branches from the sumac with the seed heads on it, ornamental grasses. And they created um, a dried arrangement, so to speak, in a hanging basket for the outdoors 
some things they collected from their fall garden. It was spectacular. That's great. You know, just one of those things that you're like, wow, what a good idea. Why didn't I think of it? So I was so excited. I wanted to pass that along because it was really just an excellent idea. And, you know, pansies, a lot of the icicle sub-zero second uh, season, for many of us, I plant them in the fall when I'm planting my bulbs, enjoy until the snow falls. And when the snow fades in the spring, they are beautiful. Um, it, this last spring, it took a while for them to recover. We had a pretty cool spring, but they came back and bloomed and looked great. When the uh, heat hit, not so good, but boy, two seasons, I'm happy. That's great because that used to be something, well, everyone in the South always did that, but that's something that we can do now, too. I'm speaking with Melinda Myers, and she is, I'm going to call her the National Plant Doctor, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm Ken Drews, host of Ken Drews Real Dirt, and I'm speaking with Melinda Myers, who is who communicates better than almost anyone to beginning gardeners and young gardeners and soon-to-be experienced gardeners and always has some great tips. And we're talking about autumn, autumn cleanup, autumn preparation. You know, at this time of year, Melinda, I'm really, you know, I've almost had it. <laughs> and soon I don't even want to see the garden, but I know, I remember in January when the catalogs arrived, I'm desperate to get back out there. And by March, I'm just, you know, I'm clawing at the walls. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember that now, that that even though it's been a rough year, I I will recover. Maybe the garden will, and I'll be out there again. But I think these things that you're telling me are, are good because if you focus on something, a particular task or a small thing, it really gets you going. It gets you started. And you don't think, oh, it's so overwhelming. There's too much to do. Just do one thing. And you're given, you've given us four things to think about. And you were just talking about pansies. And uh, what are a couple of other things? Well, you know, pest. I think the good news is, is for many of us as the temperature cools, many of the pest populations start to fade. But you're still seeing a lot of the good guys out there, which is, I think, a good reminder that we don't want to use pesticides indiscriminately because we kill a lot of the good guys. You know, you'll see a lot of the bees, predaceous wasps, other insects on your dill plants, on your goldenrod. So it's a good reminder to kind of think, okay, I need to make sure that not only do I have plenty of them, but leave them stand for the good guys. But if you've had problems with insect or disease, I saw a lot of powdery mildew with the hot, dry summer. Um, if you've had plants that are infected with insect and disease, fall cleanup's important. I leave things stand for winter. I love the winter interest. I like to feed the birds, habitat for the good guys. But if something's suffering from insect disease, it's a good thing to clean it up. If you do see some pest populations, any you know, late feeding aphids or anything else that might be munching away on your plants, you know, hand-picking a couple. If you've got kids in the family or the neighborhood, um, I was in a botanic garden where they did the pluck, stomp, and pluck, drop, and stomp. Pluck <laughs> off the bad guys, drop them on the ground, and stomp them. And if you have little gardeners that have been in school all day, they may have some energy to burn. <laughs> so helping them know the good guys from the bad guys, an important lesson, and taking care of it. And just cleaning up, weeding, believe it or not, we talked about earlier, but weeds often harbor insect and disease problems. So another good reason to weed. You know, just taking care of those. 
um, getting rid of anything that's been infested will really reduce the overwintering of the bad guys, insect and disease-wise, so you're doing less pest management next year. So this, the things. stuff that you're talking about, I mean, if you saw a plant with mildew, for example, yeah. that's another thing you wouldn't put in the compost, I suppose. Exactly, unless you're doing a good hot compost. And, you know, most of us aren't. And this is something that, you know, if you've got a lot and you really want to be truly sustainable, then start a compost pile and really do the layer of green, high nitrogen, brown, high carbon material, a little bit of compost to feed the microorganisms into your compost pile, a little bit of uh, nutrient to help feed the microorganisms, three feet high, three feet wide, minimally moist. And then if you can get the temperatures up to 165, that's going to cook a lot of things. Then turn the outside to the center and reheat it. But most of us, honestly, even myself, I just, I just throw it in a heap and let it rot. So I just believe that insect and disease infested things out. It's not, for me, worth taking a chance. Right. And so, you know, the last thing you want to do is give them a good warm home to make it over <laughs> winter. <laughs> and probably the last thing are animals. Um, you know, if you've been struggling with animals all season as food starts to dwindle many of them continue to look for good food sources you know obviously preventing damage is easier so if you've kept them at bay so far you want to continue to do that you know fence is your best bet a four foot high fence for rabbits tight to the ground because i've seen them slither over a three foot fence um deer Small areas with fences about five feet to six feet tall. They can jump over taller, taller fences, but smaller areas they tend to stay out. Okay. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm always reluctant to recommend resistant plants because I think I've seen deer eat every plant on deer resistant lists that I've come across. If there are enough of them and they are hungry enough, you know they'll eat about anything. Granted. Resistant plants give you an edge if there's your neighbors have something they prefer, maybe. We should tell people that if you see a list that says deer proof, just move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then you share that feeling too. Resistant I is, was... is good. It's better yeah. than, you know, that sometimes it works. Uh, there's a few <laughs> things that I've, I've rarely seen eaten, and I could even say never, like hellebores and boxwood. Yeah. But then I know the new growth in the autumn sometimes is sampled on the boxwood. Exactly. And I even, Zanesville, Ohio, I met a couple gardeners where the hellebores were eaten by deer. So I went, man, that just took that one off my never right, list, too. Right. But they're the only two gardeners I've ever met. So I think that's a pretty good safe bet. And, and you know what? And then if you're using repellents, you want to continue. Because, you know, as you were mentioning, we get to this part of the season, we're like, we're done. But the animals aren't. And removing some of their favorite things, like hostas, if deer and rabbit are a problem, some of those remnants of hosta will bring them in. Um, if you're planting bulbs, guess what? Boy, the squirrels are going nuts. Um, there's an all-natural repellent called Bob-X, and the Bob-XR you can use as a bulb soak, which is kind of cool. Peel off the paper covering only because we're going to soak them. Normally, you'll leave that intact. But things like your crocus and tulips, they're favorites. Soak them in that Bob-XR for like five minutes. Then let them dry so that it becomes water insoluble, and then plant. And the smell, but wear gloves or what I use is a kitty litter scoop, a clean one, um, <laughs> because it won't hurt you, but it smells, and you will think of me and not too kindly no, all day. Right. <laughs> but that seems to help. And then also above ground. You know, if you prevent 
them from coming to your yard, it's a lot easier than breaking the habit. So, you know, read and follow label directions of whatever repellent you do choose to use. Look for things that are waterproof, like the Bobex, because they'll last longer and you won't have to reapply them. But prevent problems, because as you mentioned, some of that fall tender growth, some of those new plantings, when food sources get limited, that's when you see a lot of browsing. And there's nothing worse than when the snow melts in the spring and you see all the damage the rabbits, the voles, and the deer have done to your landscape, especially your newer plantings. So on um, um, things like uh, the hoster, you're suggesting that people cut the foliage off? at the. Yeah, the... I, you know, a lot of people will do that as a prevention for slug. I often leave mine because the rabbit and deer haven't been too big of an issue, but if you've had high populations of especially deer or rabbit that come and tool through your yard, you might want to prune off the hosta leaves. The seed heads, if you haven't already removed them, are great for junco. So you may just want to remove the foliage. It's just one of those, mm, I can smell something tasty and move into the landscape kind of plants. Um, that'll just be one other trick you can use to kind of minimize. But let them turn fall color because I think hostas in the fall are so beautiful. You know, and, and again, if you haven't had problems, you might want to leave them stand. But if you've really had a lot of deer, you might want to just, you know, sacrifice them and, and see if that's just one more way to reduce that uh, pressure in your landscape. Well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned something which was a kitty litter scoop, and that's a really good idea, something I didn't think of. But I just thought I would share with you that used clay kitty litter has helped me. Oh. <laughs> With, as a repellent, uh, I had Siberian iris and the centers of the plants were eaten out by, I think it was voles, and I spread some used, you know, the lumps removed, right. some used clay kitty litter, which does pretty much work its way into the soil, and it stopped the problem. Excellent. And probably better, I have house cats that have come nose to nose with a rabbit when they've gotten outside and ran back in the house, so <laughs> maybe their kitty litter will be much more effective. I think so. I think so. And always wear gloves because, as you know, you know, good, healthy pets aren't going to be an issue, but in case your pet has any, you know, it's just a good precaution um, if you're working in soil where animals have been depositing anything or if you're moving things and especially right. if it's not your pet that, you know, has been received all their vaccinations and things. But great idea, that smell, and it's a good way to recycle it rather than into the garbage, into the garden, add some drainage, deal with the animals and take care of it that way too. <laughs> Well, as always, speaking with you is just well. It's wonderful because you well, you always have great information and you and you have it at your fingertips. <laughs> uh, you know, like you can. We're both gardeners as well as doing this for a living. So um, it's, I'm very lucky, and I get to work with folks like you. So that's great. And good luck. I I know you're going to be in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, I guess that's this week, uh, and and we're speaking in October 2011, so it might be too late. Is this open to the public, the International Master Gardeners? No, it's Master Gardeners who, um, from around the country, I think that I think a few public people could sneak in. But it, if you're not a Master Gardener, you may want to check it out. It's a great way to get intense training, and then in return, you volunteer in the community, share your love of gardening and your knowledge with others. So there's a lot of new gardeners out there, as you know, that are just kind of a little intimidated by this wonderful hobby, avocation, profession. 
And um, I think we need to help them along to get them as excited as we all are Absolutely. about gardening. And there'll be a link to Melinda Meyer's website on the kendrews.com website. And you can find out where Melinda is and you can meet her and you can even send her questions and she most likely will answer them. <laughs> Eventually. So be patient and nudge me along. <laughs> Thank you so much again. It's great. always great to speak with you. You too, Ken. Take care. Bye. Okay, class, let's review. Tip number one, weeds, keep weeding. Tip number two, water, continue to water, really up until the ground freezes, and give a long, good soak to those plants you've just installed, like deciduous trees. Number three, mulching. Mulch your garden and mulch it for free. Instead of bagging those leaves or raking them to the curb, shred them with your lawnmower, bag them, put them on the, gar on the garden for a mulch, or leave them on the lawn, as long as you can see the green lawn poking through. Number four, add fresh color. And she suggested adding things like, well, like squashes, right to the garden where the annuals have been. Number five, don't tempt the bad guys. And that goes for insects and big critters. And number six, big critters. As food dwindles, deer and other animals will find your garden. If you've been using some animal repellents, continue to use them right through the fall. And join me again next week for another edition of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Check the website for my appearances. i got a couple coming up in October. See you next week.